This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 596. Welcome in. Life is good. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great week. You will probably hear this on Saturday morning. I'm aiming for that Saturday. Man, I'd like to get it out 6 a.m. East Coast time. That's midnight for me. Um, I'll likely be editing. I want to be clear. I'm doing some film analysis this video and showing some film this episode, this podcast. Uh, I want to talk through stuff in a way that an audio-only listener can hear it on iTunes and not be confused. I want to show stuff on screen. I'm recording this episode in a way I have never done before. If you're watching on YouTube, look in the bottom. It'll be your right-hand side of the screen. You can see the edge of my laptop here. My laptop is here. My monitor's here. Film to the right. Notes on the left. Doing stuff differently today. Kind of challenging myself um, and recording. You know, during doing a film analysis during the season is so difficult because I'm trying to cover everything. When you put out a film analysis video, I'm going to cover NFL Week 4 today on the show. The problem is your window of opportunity to make a product is so tiny. And by the time you put something out, it's basically immediately expired like the next day. So uh, I don't know that I'm going to do a lot of this. I'd like to maybe pare down and do like one, talk about film from one game a week. I've done three today and I learned doing this. It takes way too long. It's a lot of work. And uh, again, you're putting something out that's time sensitive. So it doesn't matter so much. I prefer doing film in the off season, like in January, February, we go back really after the Super Bowl. So February, March, we go back and go, how did Kenny Pickett play this year? How did Brock Purdy play this year? How did Trevor Lawrence play this year? I'd like to hit every quarterback this offseason. That's kind of my goal is I'm getting my life together. And um, for the first time in basically a long time, that feels like an achievable goal rather than a pipe dream is to actually get to every quarterback this offseason and have good stuff going. Regardless, um, I'm challenging myself today. We're doing three different things. We also have some news stories I want to talk about. Um it's very possible that editing this episode is going to kill me. Like, you know, again, I'm recording this Friday afternoon. I'm going to start editing immediately afterward. There's no way. I usually record even film analysis videos all in one take. I'm very proud of that. There is absolutely no way that will happen this episode because I'm going to be basically watching the Anthony Richardson film for the first time while recording a podcast. I've never done that before. Um and then I got to find a way to articulate myself in a way that if you're listening on iTunes or Spotify, you can still understand what's going on. So again, this is going to be a weird, chaotic episode. I think very good. I'm hopeful it'll either be, either this is going to be an amazing episode or a really bad one. I'm hoping you'll really like it. Um, there are two things I want to talk about before we do anything. There's some news stories that broke today. Uh, I'm probably going to call the the first topic of this episode the rich got richer, because that's what we saw throughout the NFL today on Friday. There's also a write-in I want to read that I missed from Fun Friday, which became Wholesome Friday. But before we do anything, we got to pay the Giants. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
All right, we are back. Uh, that is my first time cutting to an ad break without, you know, explaining the backstory of pay the bills rather than pay the Giants or the Cardinals. I think it's kind of fun. I love the idea of, I'm going to start doing that more and more. I love the idea. I don't know why I love this idea, because it's actually probably terrible for like a new audience or a new listener. But I love the idea of like three months from now, I go, we got to pay the Patriots. And people are like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Like only the people who are here right now, it's like an inside joke. And someone's going to have to explain it in the comments. I love that thought. But for now, remember, we say pay the bills. And I guess in a way, the bills are giants that are looming over your body and over your everyday life that you have to deal with. Um, so again, we had to pay the giants today. And uh, I want to read a write-in from, it should have been on yesterday's show. I made a mistake. And uh, I was kind of disappointed. I was editing the show yesterday. I'm like, oh, I forgot to read that one. I was like, that's a bummer. So this guy wrote in, remember, I asked you guys uh, last Friday what your favorite thing you own is. And then on top of that, for next week, the, the question, if you haven't commented on yesterday's episode, go back, Wholesome Friday. The question asked, what's your most awkward or... Uh, embarrassing moment. I want to hear stories. I think that'd be great. If you want to write in on this episode, I'm happy to check the comments here as well. But this guy wrote in, and I, I meant to read it on yesterday's show. He said, my favorite thing is my apartment. I'm young, and it's my first apartment ever. I've been in and out of homelessness for two years, and being able to have a place to call home and a place to be able to live is amazing. It's crazy the things you cherish when you are at your lowest. Dude, I completely understand you. I was homeless in high school. Um, I lived in a truck and drove across the country. Partially was I was dealing with a bad financial situation and made the best of it. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I When I had only my truck and I lived in the back of my truck, there was no greater feeling in the world than having my little personal space. I loved it. It was amazing. I totally understand. And now I'm back in an apartment. My life is kind of more on track. Uh, we're in a situation, like I said earlier on the show, where I think I can do film analysis this offseason and really get after it and kind of after what I would say has like been really since the Rona, probably three years of just kind of a really traumatic turmoil of a life. Uh, kind of I'm back on track after a lot of, again, since 2020 really went down, I feel like my life has been completely derailed and I'm, I feel like I'm finally getting back in a stable position. That's incredible. And um, even this room, like I record in this little room. I don't know if people know this and I'm, I, I don't open up about this very often because I don't, I think it makes me look bad and I don't know why I care. It's also part of the story. It's part of me battling for my dream of building a company and having a great successful podcast. I'd love to hire people someday. I'd love to own a house someday if that's ever feasible. Um, I got a screaming good deal on a room in Hawaii, live with one of my good friends. She's a Bears fan. And uh, I sleep on a mattress pad. I, I, I fold it up when it's not being used. I'll put it over on the wall. During night, where my chair is right now, I lay it out and I sleep right there, right behind the desk on the show. Basically, I live in an office that I sleep in at night. It's interesting. So I totally understand you talking about having a place you love, man. I, I, I just want to say, I don't know your name. You have a, a screen name here, Fire Phoenix 69. Nice. Love that. Um, but whoever you are, man, I'm, I'm rooting for you in life. I know that. I know that journey and completely having your own space for the first time in a while it's an incredible feeling. And I love you so much, man. I'm, I'm happy for you. I meant to read that on yesterday's show. And uh, I thought that was a really cool write-in that still, despite being skipped over yesterday, was deserving of being acknowledged. By the way, I want to say this. I'm going to talk about quarterbacks a lot today. And I just, 
I don't need to do this. Um, I know that I notice myself every time I am preparing a film analysis video or writing about film analysis. I even got a question from Devin about Mike Tomlin, why I don't criticize him more. That'll be a really fun thing to break down and talk about next week. There is a very specific reason why, actually, I have never really harshly criticized. That's not a word. There's a reason why I've never harshly criticized Mike Tomlin, which I will get into Probably next Friday, the, the the Friday episode, Fun Friday, that'll be part of the Patreon questions. I've got your question full, filed away, Devin. I'm going to answer it later. Um, but every time I sit down to write about a quarterback, there's this underlying feeling. I, I watched Matthew Stafford throw a bad interception um, this week against the Colts. I was watching the Colts game earlier. Uh, well, really what I was doing is I was breaking down so I could have every drive cut out. So I, I haven't watched the game yet, but I saw an interception by Matthew Stafford, and I clicked on it. And I watched it, and it's a throw that I would never dare to make in my entire life. Matthew Stafford throws the ball late over the middle, doesn't set his feet. He's like sidearm across his body. He's like kind of leaning right, throws it back across, or leaning left, throws it back across the right. Defender undercuts it and picks it off. I would never make, I would never even attempt that throw. But I also never had the arm strength of Matthew Stafford. So I want to say this is a a questionable decision by Matthew Stafford. I'm going to play it on screen. Um... But it's also like, I just want to be clear, when I criticize quarterbacks, I have the utmost reverence and respect for NFL quarterbacks. I would never dare to attempt this kind of throw because I never had the arm strength Matthew Stafford has. He's like a god throwing the football. And uh, to me, this is all what I'm building to. Quarterback is one of the hardest, if not the hardest job in the entire world. I mean, and not just quarterback, NFL quarterback specifically. Being an NFL quarterback, the responsibilities you have as the face of a franchise, the ability to carry yourself, you're supposed to be a leader, but also just the things mentally you have to keep track of on every single play is unbelievable. People have no idea how much you have to process and how quickly. Where are my safeties? Are they blitzing pre-snap? If they blitz, do I have a plan to deal with that blitz? Are we in the right play call? Or do we have the protection slid the right way? That's all pre-snap. Then post-snap, you snap the ball. Did that guy blitz? Where are the safeties? Are they confirming where I thought they were? Oh, they went somewhere else, so I got to have a plan for this other thing that happens, and that has to happen in like two seconds. It's an unbelievable position, and you know, I think like the hardest jobs in the world, I would imagine like a black ops, uh, Navy SEAL, military operator. I know some guys in the military that do that kind of stuff. They are the most badass people I've ever met in my life. They're incredible, and the stories they tell that they can tell me are horrifying and insane. And most of the stuff they say, I can't even talk about that, which is like, to me, it's it, clearly that's an incredibly difficult job. I would put quarterback up there with one of those jobs. I, it feels really weird to compare like a military personnel to a quarterback, but there's so few quarterbacks who can do what they do. And the reason why I love my job is I get to talk about quarterbacks. I absolutely love it. And especially this year, I feel like I've, after kind of shunning Patrick Mahomes, I, I think for a while I was bored of his success. I've kind of rekindled my love for Patrick Mahomes and uh, really been just enjoying the magic and majesty of Patrick Mahomes, the incredible throws he can make. Uh, I'm working on a project about him. I didn't get to it this week. And the joy I feel when I get to watch a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes play is unbelievable. And uh, I just want to be very clear. I think sometimes I worry that I come across as a hater. And like, oh, he's a guy who didn't play in the NFL. How could he dare talk about quarterbacks? That could not be further from my heart. My heart is in a place of utmost respect and reverence for quarterbacks, man. It's, I, I think actually people have truly no idea how difficult it can be to play quarterback. And I see people, commentators in the space that do similar stuff to me, 
really like coming after quarterbacks and attacking them. And don't get me wrong. If I got to criticize you, I will criticize you. I take pride in like my ability to call it like I see it and say it like it is. But at the same time, the worst quarterback in the NFL is still miles ahead of so many other quarterbacks. Like a great guy that I really admire is Josh Dobbs, the quarterback who plays for Arizona. The dude built like designed the rocket to go to the moon for NASA. And he's an NFL quarterback. He might be a better rocket rocket scientist, rocket engineer. Aerospace engineer is the right word, I guess. He might be better at that than playing quarterback. What is more rare, the guy who can design a, a rocket to go to the moon or the guy who can be an NFL starting quarterback? I, I'm not really sure. And Josh Dobbs is not Patrick Mahomes, but certainly like he's an incredible dude who can do both, which is amazing. But I just I come I'm ranting now, but I want to be clear. Like I just have so much respect for the quarterback position. I think it is an incredible feat to do every week. The guys who go out there and play at a high level are truly unbelievable. And I try to be very forgiving when a guy makes a mistake because I understand what it's like to play to some degree the quarterback position. I played in college, and it's and I wasn't even good. I was like a bad quarterback who I think mentally I had some stuff right. Physically, I could never put it together. And when you watch quarterbacks play on Sunday and Saturday, but especially Sunday in the NFL, you got to remember how difficult that job is. And when you see people in the media attacking a quarterback, criticizing them, just remember like that you, you have to have still a tone of respect there. Even the worst quarterback deserves a basic level of respect because of how j- hard that job is. And I just see a lot of fans and commentators going after quarterbacks, attacking them, we're going to talk about Daniel Jones later in today's show, and I hope I can respectfully talk about him in a way that is both true and honest, but also doesn't attack him as a person, because he is clearly struggling as a quarterback, but that's an incredibly difficult job that I think deserves, that has to be acknowledged, how difficult the quarterback position truly is. Now, um, I recorded last night, last night was Thursday night, I'm recording this on Friday afternoon, I recorded an episode after Thursday Night Football after Chicago beat Washington. And I talked about, during that episode, I talked about a potential Chase Claypool trade. I mentioned how I'd love to see Chase Claypool playing for Kansas City. I thought it would have felt like filled a need for Kansas City, who needs a receiver. I thought Chase Claypool, a guy who struggled with attitude and effort. You go to Kansas City, you play with Patrick Mahomes. Hey, if you can't figure out how to have a good attitude about that, it's clearly a you problem. Now, I also, I think, I I believe I threw out the name Miami as well. I was like, there's a couple other spots. Miami was one. I think that I might have only said Miami and Kansas City, but it was heavily on Kansas City. I think I threw out the name Miami. Either way, five hours later, that's exactly what happened. Uh, The Bears traded wide receiver Chase Claypool, not to Kansas City, but to Miami to play for the Dolphins. And uh, Miami is getting wide receiver Chase Claypool and a 2025 seventh round pick. Chicago got in return a 2025 sixth round pick. And I want to read, I want to, I got some stuff I want to read about this because in Chicago, the brief time he spent there, he had 18 catches, 191 yards, and one touchdown. And that is a player that the Bears traded a second round pick that became the 32nd overall pick because remember the Dolphins had to forfeit a first over a first round pick last year. So it's pretty insane that a player that, you know, how do I say the Chicago traded basically a first-round pick four in Chase Claypool. Ended up doing basically nothing for them. 18 catches, 191 yards, one touchdown. 
now has been traded to Miami for nothing. So that's a huge loss and a missed opportunity for Chicago. And I will say that the problem with Chase Claypool has always been attitude and effort. He's always has a he's always had a problem. At least his time in Chicago, I thought he could have been had a better attitude and given better effort in Pittsburgh as well. There was a problem there. Then in Chicago, it's like he just didn't want to be there. And and maybe he didn't, but he complained about stuff. He gave horrible effort when he was blocking. And it's, it's a shame because Chase Claypool is a really talented player who I thought was going to help Chicago. Chicago's got a young quarterback, Justin Fields, who definitely could use a good receiver. We've seen DJ Moore step up in the last two games, but I thought Chase Claypool was going to be a big part of the success story in Chicago. He failed miserably, or he chose not to succeed there is kind of what I'm really feeling like, is he just didn't want to be there, put a horrible effort out. Uh, he's a talented player, six foot four. Now he's going to Miami. Miami is a team that, frankly, it's the best offense in the NFL. They've got Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, a great quarterback, a great head coach, a lot of other weapons at receiver as well. Now they added another weapon. Like kind of the only thing Miami didn't really have is a six foot four receiver who can go up and get jump balls. I mean, it's pretty crazy. If Chase Claypool can reach his potential as a receiver, this is going to be a monumental move for Miami to get another really good receiver on what's already the best offense in the NFL. The rich got richer, I think, here. And Chase Claypool, if you cannot be happy to go to work in Miami, playing with Tua, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and a great facility in Miami with a great coach, Mike McDaniel, and a really fun offensive system. If for some reason Chase Claypool isn't happy in Miami, we have serious concerns. We got to get him help because it's not a situation thing anymore. I, I understand not liking Pittsburgh, having Mitchell Trubisky, then Kenny Pickett throwing you the ball and a rough offense. I Sure. Uh, a cold weather city even. Sh- sure. Like whatever excuse you want to come up with. I even Chicago. The offense isn't working. Got Justin Fields who wasn't playing great. You don't like the city? Sure. Now there's no excuse for you to not enjoy playing football. You're in Miami. Great system. Great coach. Great players all around you. Um, It's the last opportunity, frankly, for Chase Claypool to really prove himself and become a high-level player. And other than Kansas City, this is the best situation he could have possibly gone to. Maybe it's actually even better than Kansas City because he's going to have so much help around him. Veteran receivers he can lean on. A coaching staff who's really good at getting to know their players, and not only like putting them in a position to succeed when it comes to schematics, but also Mike McDaniel. I would love to be in that meeting when he meets Chase Claypool for the first time. I don't know how he's going to approach it. I, I really wonder, like, does he sit down and say, hey, Chase, sit down. Dude, I love you, man. What's been going on? Like, wh- Does he ask him a question? Why do you feel like you haven't been successful? Does he say, hey, my concern is attitude and effort? Does, he just, does Mike McDaniel just say that outright and say, I'd love to see a great attitude and a great effort from you because we think you're a great football player. Does he acknowledge it at all? I, I, I don't know. I, that's a great question is what is Mike McDaniel's first conversation with Chase Claypool look like in the building? And not on the phone, just like, glad to have you. I mean, when he really gets there and they sit down and go, how can we help you succeed? I wonder what Mike McDaniel's going to say. I really, really wonder. Um, I would probably go about it and say, look, I, you know, why do you think you haven't been successful? Hear what he has to say. Then acknowledge, here's what I think's been going on. I look at a player who's really talented, who didn't like his situation, and maybe could have given better attitude, or given better effort and had a better attitude. We want to see you here in Miami, have a great attitude, give high-level effort, and if you do that, we think you're going to be a really good player. Sell him on that idea. Um, 
But certainly, man, there's a lot of potential for this move to be a great move for Miami, getting a weapon at receiver who has got potential, which if realized could be terrifying. And, uh, man, you know, when you look around the NFL, basically the only team you couldn't allow Chase Claypool to go was Miami. I I thought Kansas City was going to make a move and go get him. It's kind of surprising they did not. For only a sixth, seventh round pick, what was it, a seventh round pick to go get uh, no, they sorry. Miami gave up a sixth round pick to go get Chase Claypool. You're telling me Kansas City didn't offer that? You know, I, I can't believe that if that's true. And uh, it's surprising to me, disappointing to me. The theme of this show is that the rich are getting richer. And the best offense in the NFL got a new receiver, which could be a really good weapon. And then the best pass rush in the NFL got another pass rusher. The 49ers traded for Randy Gregory. Denver was going to cut him, or that was reported at least. And then at the last minute, the 49ers traded for Randy Gregory. Let's ask that question again. What team in the NFL didn't need a new receiver? Miami. What's like the one team, maybe there's two, I would say Dallas and the 49ers are like the only teams in the NFL that could not use another pass rusher. Oh, guess what just happened? That's exactly what the 49ers just got. The 49ers just got Randy Gregory and a 2024 seventh round pick in exchange for Denver getting a 2024 sixth round pick. Denver's going to pay Randy Gregory $10 million for the rest of the year. And the 49ers this year just have to pay him the veteran minimum. So in 2020, he signed a five-year $70 million deal. He's only got one sack this year. Not great. He's played in three games, didn't start last week. I played in four technically, I guess, but he started three games this year before getting benched going into last week against Chicago. Last year, Randy Gregory only played six games. He had a one-game suspension. He also dealt with some injuries. He only had two sacks in six games last year in Denver. It's a guy they gave a lot of money to who was really disappointing. Three sacks in you know a year and some change. And... Still, I I think that because of the great players the 49ers have on their defensive line around him, I can really imagine Randy Gregory, who was a massive disappointment in Denver. I could see him going to the 49ers and making a big impact and being like, whoa, where did this come from? Because when you're playing with Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Eric Armstead, they've got Cleland Farrell, they've got linebackers Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw off the edge occasionally, um... When you've got great players around you who are going to dominate one-on-one matchups, it's going to give you better one-on-one matchups. And Randy Gregory is going to be put in position regularly to do a really good job. And I am just, I'm a little bit, you know, um, like scared for other teams. Because like I said, basically the last team in the NFL you wanted to see get another pass rusher is the 49ers. They got Randy Gregory, who the best of Randy Gregory is really good. He hasn't been his best in a while. But because of the players around him, he's going to have great matchups. And uh, basically, Denver said, this contract sucks. You're not producing for us. We're going to trade you away. Get rid of your contract. Next year, it's a 49ers problem. But the 49ers are hoping Randy Gregory can come in and make them even better up front from the beginning. And uh, I, I love what the 49ers are doing, which is taking advantage of paying their quarterback, Brock Purdy, next to nothing. Less than a million dollars a year. And uh, little note here, this weekend, the 49ers play the Dallas Cowboys, which is the team Randy Gregory was drafted to. He was drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. Then he left in 2022 to go to Denver, spent a year and four games in Denver. Now he's out. Now he's on the 49ers. And in his first game with the 49ers, he's going to play his old team, the Dallas Cowboys. Woo! 
Again, I think the rich got richer. These are two moves with two players who went to different circumstances on teams that fit them better. I think Randy Gregory is going to be better in San Francisco than he was in Denver, and I believe Chase Claypool is going to be a much more productive player with a better attitude who is put in a position to do well in Miami. And uh, really great trades for Miami and the 49ers, giving up a sixth-round pick for players who really could make a big impact if things go well and they reach their potential. So the rich got richer on Friday this week in the NFL. Hi, everyone. It is Saturday, the next day. Uh, Yesterday, I tried cutting corners and making film analysis in a faster way. And uh, the reality is that I have discovered for myself, it doesn't work for me. And uh, trying to speed up that process and rush out a product was a failed experiment. And uh, it was a big learning moment for me. I feel like it didn't really work. Um, And this episode was one I was excited for that I said even at the beginning of the show, this is kind of an experiment. We'll see if it works. To me, it, it didn't work. And I refused to put something out that isn't up to my standard. So uh, the rest of the show, I've had to really kind of work with and re-record uh, an entire segment, cut some stuff out. I want to play a clip, though, for you. Here is how I ended up ending the show yesterday. And what you will hear is something that I think shouldn't ever be said at the end of a show. Like, I realized after recording, like, the, if I feel this way, I, I have full control. I shouldn't put this out. I should re-record some stuff. So I want to play a clip. Here is how I ended the show yesterday. All right, guys, let me be honest. As I am recording this, I thought I would sit down and watch Anthony Richardson film and kind of react to it live and share my thoughts. And it doesn't feel like it's working for me. I I think that this is a show. First of all, we got a lot of listeners on the audio only platforms. I want to make a show both that you can watch and listen to. And it's the same product and it's cohesive. I also don't feel like I'm at my best. I feel like I'm better when I can watch something, digest it, write about it a little bit, have a prepared thought ready to go. I don't have that here with Anthony Richardson. I'm going to scrap this idea. There's not going to be Anthony Richardson film on this episode today. I I love you guys. I appreciate you. I tried it. It's not my style. It's not working for me. I know when to pull the plug on something and when it's not working. And so uh, back to the drawing board. We talked about Zach Wilson. We talked about Daniel Jones. As I edit them, if I need to re-record them tomorrow and push the show back to later on Saturday, I will. But for now, uh, that's the whole show. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for tuning in. And I will see you on the very next episode. Ba-dum-bum, bam, we are. Now, I want to play another clip. Um, Here is what I felt like I needed to record after recording the episode yesterday on Friday. Hey, guys. It is Zach. After the fact, in the editing room, uh, just kind of wanted to share a kind of a postscript thought. You know, this episode is me trying to figure out how to cut corners a little bit and make film analysis faster. And I think the reality is I've discovered for myself I need time to think and digest and trying to speed up the process and rush out a film analysis product. It's never going to be a good option for me. I don't like doing that. It doesn't work for me. Other people can make film analysis in their process however they want. But for me personally, I think it's better when I really digest it and and thoughtful and take my time. I think that's what makes my show good. Uh, and so sorry it wasn't longer. I'd like for more. But um, I, I want people to understand for me, it, it takes so much work and effort to make this project, uh, this It takes so much work and effort to make a film analysis uh, properly, in my opinion. So, you know, um, I just want to be clear, this is a big learning moment for me. Uh, If you don't like it, please forgive me if you do, great. But uh, I'd like to make more film analysis throughout the season. I want to figure out how to make it both timely and not suck so much time where 
it comes out too late and isn't timely anymore. Because if I talk about week four, right as week five is starting, it's frankly too late. People don't care. So I'm figuring out the happy medium here. Uh, I want to do some film analysis during the season. Most of it's going to be after the season. But I wanted to kind of record this and let you know, like, for me, big learning moment. I was experimenting, trying something different. I feel like it didn't really work. Um, but let me know what you think. And, um, you know, I will be better moving forward. Have a great day. Love you guys. Bye. So here is the plan for today. Today, it's Saturday. I'm going to talk about Daniel Jones. Um, I've got some footage from Zach Wilson film. Maybe I'll use that next week on a show. We'll find a way. He's going to play the Broncos this week. And if that does well, maybe we make a, a video about the two last games Zach Wilson has played and talk about the progress he's making. That's possible. I cut the Anthony Richardson segment entirely. And what's cool about this recording on a Saturday, um, I don't like the way that I recorded. I started this on Friday. I'm ending this on Saturday. It feels weird and disjointed to me. But the benefit is there's breaking news I can now react to. Here is what happened. Something that came out of nowhere. I did not expect this to happen. I did not see this coming. The Indianapolis Colts have given their star running back, Jonathan Taylor, a new contract. Three years, $42 million, $26.5 million guaranteed. I find this shocking. Came out of nowhere. I did not expect Jonathan Taylor. You'll wake up on a Saturday morning. Oh my gosh, he signed a new contract. What? Uh, okay, it comes before he makes his season debut in 2023 this weekend. It's shocking to me. Again, there was a lot of drama leading up to this. Uh, the Colts owner made a lot of statements that basically to me made it feel like I didn't think Indy was ever going to pay him. And... This contract is the first time a running back has signed a sizable multi-year contract worth over $10 million a year since Nick Chubb did it a couple years ago in 2021. I legitimately thought a running back was never going to get a contract like this ever again. And, uh, you know, we saw Saquon Barkley not get a long-term contract. We saw Josh Jacobs not get a long-term contract. I am shocked that this happened. And remember, in 2020, as a rookie, Jonathan Taylor ran for 1,169 yards. Nice. And then in 2021, second year in the league, he led the league in rushing with 1,811 yards. Last year, Jonathan Taylor hurt his ankle. He only played in 11 games, and the Colts' offense was, frankly, garbage. Um, partially because he was not playing at the full season, partially because he was playing, and the team around him wasn't very good. Their quarterback situation was awful. I got to say, I am really, really happy to see Jonathan Taylor get paid. $26.5 million will set you up for life if you're smart with it. Remember, that's before taxes. They'll probably take away half of that in taxes alone. So he's probably really getting like $13.25 million, something like that. That's still enough money. You give Zach Schaumler $13 million, I would never work a day again in my life. Actually, I probably would. I'd probably still do this show. It would just be in like an amazing setting with a dope studio and... uh I would be set for life and never need to worry about money again, which would be so, so nice. Um, the year Jonathan Taylor led the league in rushing, he made less than a million dollars. To me, that's absurd. The value he brought to the team was not rewarded financially. And so I am really, really happy to see Jonathan Taylor get paid. Again, I, I really didn't expect a running back was going to get money like this maybe ever again. So I, I feel like I've said shocked already too many times, but this just did not feel like a potential reality to me. I thought he was going to come back, finish out his contract, kind of keep his tail tucked between his legs. And now, Jonathan Taylor, man, gets paid. I'm happy for the dude. He's brought tremendous value to Indianapolis. He did in 2021 when he led the league in rushing. And I'm happy to see him get rewarded for the hard work and good stuff that he 
did. Let's now shift gears to Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, the Giants quarterback, had a rough game during NFL Week 4. On Monday Night Football against Seattle, he was sacked 10 times, which is horrifying. He had three turnovers. They lost 24-3. Their turnovers really cost him, and one was a pick six. One was a fumble that gave Seattle the ball first and goal in the eight-yard line. I want to break it all down. On the very first drive of the game, there were warning signs. The Giants ran a bootleg where the quarterback fakes the run, then reverse pivots and tries to get out on the perimeter. And while doing his run fake, his back is to the line of scrimmage. Right as Daniel Jones reverse pivots, there's a defender, Jamal Adams, all over him. This happens because Giants receiver Wandale Robinson does a terrible job. It's poor execution. He is supposed to put a chip block on Jamal Adams where you block him for a second and a half, let him go, let him get after the quarterback. But what you want to do is hold Jamal Adams in place so that he can't just get a free rush on Daniel Jones. Instead, that's exactly what happened. Jamal Adams comes free at the quarterback. The Giants are lucky here because Daniel Jones actually avoids the sack, makes him miss, and kind of makes his play work and throws for a couple yards, but it was an early warning sign. A poor chip block would hurt the Giants later, though. When Daniel Jones got sacked and fumbled, a fumble that gave Seattle, by the way, the ball first and goal inside the eight-yard line, that sack fumble happened because of Wondell Robinson once again playing patty cake, making a horrible attempt at a chip block. It ruins the entire play. Defender blows up the play. The poor chip block means Daniel Jones can't get outside. Then he gets hit from behind and fumbles. It's poor execution on a chip block that leads to a Seattle touchdown after the fumble from Daniel Jones. But the fumble only happened because Daniel Jones wasn't able to get on the perimeter, got hit from behind, all because of Wyndell Robinson in motion, playing patty cake, making a horrible block on the edge defender. It's poor execution. In this game against Seattle, Daniel Jones got sacked 10 times, and five of those sacks were Daniel Jones' fault. But that also means that five of the sacks were not on Daniel Jones. I already showed you one of them. The sack fumble was not Daniel Jones' fault. I want to break down. Let's keep it going. There are four more sacks I want to talk about that were not Daniel Jones' fault. There's a disastrous one. On third and seven, there's nowhere to go with the ball. It's a five-man rush. You got six guys blocking, five offensive linemen plus a running back. Also, you got the help of a chip block from a receiver on the left edge. And once again, it's third and seven. There is nowhere to throw. The right tackle gets badly beaten. This sack is absolutely not Daniel Jones' fault. The next one, I don't care what protection you're running. There is no protection where you leave Seattle defensive end Draymond Jones unblocked up the middle in the A-gap. Depending on who you ask, you call it a stunt or a twist where the defenders swap spots and the center can't adjust. He badly misses a block. This is not Daniel Jones' fault. By the way, it's only a four-man rush. Four guys getting after the quarterback. You have five offensive linemen. This should never happen. It's a badly missed block by the center that leads to a sack on Daniel Jones. On the next one, the left tackle is just embarrassing. He gets beat really bad. When a defender runs right by your left tackle, you have no shot. Daniel Jones is getting sacked as he's finishing his three-step drop. It's just ridiculous. Your quarterback has no opportunity to succeed when your left tackle gets beaten that badly. The last sack I want to talk about that is not Daniel Jones' fault, the Giants run a double move. It's a hitch and go on both sides, and uh, the quarterback doesn't have enough time to hold onto the ball long enough for it to develop. There's nowhere to throw. The left tackle gets badly beaten again. 
So five of the sacks we saw against Seattle were not Daniel Jones' fault. Now, five of them were his fault. Number one, Daniel Jones runs out of bounds behind the line of scrimmage and loses a yard. Technically, that's a sack. Uh, It's frustrating because it's so avoidable, right? You throw the ball away. Uh, There's no reason to take a loss, and that sack did not need to happen. Number two is a tougher one. Seattle runs a late blitz with corner Devin Witherspoon, and Daniel Jones doesn't even see it. This is why, by the way, playing quarterback is incredibly tough in the NFL. There are so many things you have to be thinking about. After the snap, you have to be aware of a blitzer coming off the edge, coming late. And you have to have a plan to deal with it. You got to be ready to go like, hey, if they blitz, I'm going here with a football. But you got to decide that before the ball is even snapped. And there is so much to deal with as a quarterback. Where are my safeties? What coverage is it? Are they blitzing? Then post-snap, you snap the ball. You confirm the coverage. Did they blitz? All this has to happen in like two seconds. Playing quarterback in the NFL is incredibly difficult. And even though it's tough, this one's still on Daniel Jones. He misses a blitz, doesn't even see it, takes a sack here. You got to recognize the blitz and have a plan to deal with it. Daniel Jones does not hear. The sack is on him. The third sack is so frustrating. It's quick game, meaning that you pick a matchup you like, then you catch the ball and you throw it immediately. You shouldn't be holding onto the ball too long in quick game because the offensive line is expecting your quarterback to get the ball out quickly. On his left, he's got two receivers with three defenders over them. They're running a fade out concept. I think Daniel Jones must believe that the defender off the edge is going to come and bring pressure because he looks like he thinks he's going to have an easy completion to the left. That doesn't happen. He's wrong. He holds onto the ball too long, which again, you should never do, and gets sacked. This play is painful because it's a simple concept. And if he'd just gone to the right side, he would have had a completion, plain and simple. Sack number four that was Daniel Jones' fault. I don't know what he's looking at. As soon as his back foot hits the turf at the end of his drop, the ball should be out. He's got a receiver staring at him open, and you can only wonder, like, what are we doing as a quarterback? Like, what's happening here? Because, yes, the right guard gets badly beaten. Daniel Jones tries to run it back to the line of scrimmage, but it shouldn't matter because for some reason he passed up an open receiver. I just don't understand here. I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this isn't an easy completion, and instead he makes it way harder and takes a sack. The last one is on fourth and five. Daniel Jones has a receiver open for a first down. Middle of the field, on the Giants logo, and for some reason, doesn't pull the trigger. He hangs onto the ball too long, takes a sack. I have no idea what he's looking at, and at this point, it feels hopeless to try to figure out and fix Daniel Jones. When you watch the film, man, the sacks are adding up. And, you know, the Cowboys game, the 49ers game, it's very clear Daniel Jones does not trust his offensive line anymore. There are plays where... He's bailing out of the pocket way too early. There's a play where, yeah, there's a messy pocket, but it's the NFL. That's how it happens. That's how it works. In the NFL, you're going to deal with players all around you in the pocket. Daniel Jones bails out too early, and a curl route comes open. But because he left the pocket, he's got no chance to see it. And uh, it's an early warning sign. You're like, oh, this quarterback is really skittish in the pocket. Now, there's a fun sequence I want to talk about. On second and six, the Giants can't run the ball. They lose a ton of yards. That sets up third and 11. And on third and 11, he leaves the pocket too early. Now, he's got a deep dig developing over the middle of the field right on the Giants logo. Daniel Jones leaves the pocket, so the defense does get influenced and starts flowing with Daniel Jones towards the sideline. But I think Darius Slayton might have come open on this deep dig. We will never know because Daniel Jones left the pocket early, did not let it develop, didn't trust his offensive line, and he takes off and leaves a clean pocket, which... 
It's the biggest issue here. Daniel Jones, even when you do his stuff right, he can't execute because he can't hang out in the pocket. He doesn't trust what's going on in front of him. It's a really, really big problem. By the way, Seattle sacked Daniel Jones 10 times, but they had 11 sacks on the day, which means that this play I'm about to talk about is a sack. The Giants try to throw a double pass to receiver Paris Campbell, where Paris Campbell would catch the lateral, then try to throw downfield. He gets sacked in the backfield, meaning the Giants are so bad that even their receivers are getting sacked. Yikes. Now we got to talk about the pick six. Daniel Jones threw a god-awful interception on the goal line that got returned by Devin Witherspoon for a 97-yard pick six. So Daniel Jones handed Seattle a touchdown, and it is a baffling, baffling, terrible decision. There is nothing about this play that should give a quarterback the green light to make this throw. I think Brian Dable, the play caller, was trying to get the ball to Darren Waller on a corner route behind all this mess at the line of scrimmage. But this throw just doesn't make any sense to me. This ball should never, ever, ever get thrown to Paris Campbell. And uh, it's a bad decision that leads to a long pick six for Devin Witherspoon. Now, interception number two is bad. Daniel Jones makes a throw late over the middle. He gets hit as he throws. It's wildly off target. This play is all bad. It's just not good. It's At this point of the game, I'm watching film. I'm like, man, it's time to panic because Daniel Jones looks unfixable. All of his best plays are coming outside of the structure of the offense. He's extending plays. He's running for a ton of yards. Daniel Jones has a four-year, $160 million contract. He's under contract through 2026. $82 million guaranteed. He's in year five, and he's making mistakes that a rookie quarterback might make. Four games into the year, he's got two touchdown passes, six interceptions, three total touchdowns, seven total turnovers, To me, Daniel Jones looks unfixable. It's a problem. It's not good. And I am really, really worried for Giants fans and the Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones. All right, guys. um, I'm way behind schedule. This show really got um, derailed by, uh, frankly, me being overambitious. So I apologize. It's a short episode. I did the best I could. Um, I want to get this out. Remember, it's, it's Saturday for me. I'm also in the last time zone of America. So... Uh, I want to get this out before the end of Saturday because I know we got football on Sunday and people, you can't put out a film analysis about week four the same day week five starts. So I'm going to put this out. I love you. I appreciate you. Hope you have a great day and uh, take care. I love you. Appreciate you. See you on the next one. But um, bam, we are done.